In this episode of Breaking Bond, we will be talking about 1967's Casino Royale, starring David Niven as Sir James Bond, Peter Sellers as Evelyn Trimble, Ursula Andrus as Vesper Lind, Orson Welles as Le Chief, and Woody Allen as Jimmy Bond, a.k.a. Dr. Noah. Directed by Val Guest, Ken Hughes, John Huston, Joseph McGrath, Robert Parrish, Richard Talmadge. <laughs> That's a whole lot of directors. Uh, it shows, buddy. <laughs> but first, a word from our stately sponsor. Stately. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome into Breaking Bond, a 007 binge cast, where we'll be diving headfirst into the 007 cinematic universe on a mission to watch every James Bond film ever made. With no first-hand knowledge of the books and little to no experience with the films, we are excited to finally flesh out the missing context surrounding this pop culture icon and see what, if anything, we've been missing. My name is David C. Robertson. And I'm Bethany Robertson. Hi, Bethany Robertson. Hey, I'm wearing a dress, and it has pockets. That's right. I am wearing a hoodie and underwear. (laughs) And that is it. (laughs) They're boxer briefs, though, so it's not like... Yeah, you're basically wearing, like, Sean Connery shorts. Right. <laughs> Except yeah. less revealing. Right. If I had on a polo, I would feel comfortable, like, <laughs> walking around a resort or something. Yeah. You should just throw on some quick scuba gear over it. Uh-huh. Yep. That's what I should do. Mm-hmm. Like, anyway, so, um, I, I... This was a movie. This was a bad movie. (laughs) It was two hours and ten minutes long. And I was with it for about 45 minutes. And then for me, it just like quickly turned from, okay, okay, I'm trying to make this work. All right. I don't really, I'm not really totally down with satire that's, that's in this movie so far, but... I can hang with it. I liked a lot of... I liked certain elements of it. Yeah. I liked some of the dialogue. Uh, and I'll get to that with favorite quotes. But... Um, and I loved the concept. I loved the yes. idea. I really love the idea that like... Oh yeah, I don't think we've even said what the concept is. Mm. <laughs> Basically the concept... The initial concept of the <laughs> film was that... Um, there is an original James Bond... Who was such a big deal that when he retired, they just started, they just gave his name and number to another spy. Mm -hmm. And that his legend was so great that they decided, well, let's screw with the enemy and make like a a ton of people James Bond throughout the movie. Like all these different people. I like that. I like the idea of that. Um, I didn't like the execution at all. And I guess we'll get into some of the, the whys of what happened. But let's go ahead and, and, and jump into this Wikipedia synopsis. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> so, Sir James Bond, 007, a legendary British spy who retired from the Secret Service 20 years previously, is, vid- is visited by the head of British MI6, which I think is called MI5 in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, M, CIA Representative mm-hmm. Ransom, KGB Representative Smirnov, and French Military Representative Legrand. All implore Bond to come out of retirement to deal with Smirsch, who have been eliminating agents. Bond spurns all of their pleas. When Bond continues to stand firm, his mansion is destroyed by a mortar attack at the orders of M, who is, however, killed in the explosion. That was really unclear. That, yeah, okay, so I'm learning some (laughs) new stuff here. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading the synopsis because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning as we are podcasting. Right. Okay. So M was the one who ordered? Right. The, why? Um, because if, I guess if they blew up his house and all the places, because he was like, I wouldn't trade one of those black petals for any. I oh. think if he was like, oh, we'll just blow up your, your shit <clears throat> so that you have to like. Right. Come back and help us. Yeah. I think that was the idea. Okay. Um, and by the way, oh, well, you said this at the top of the show. David Niven played a, played James Bond, uh, the age when he played Bond, he was 57. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was definitely an older Bond, but he was supposed to be. Right. Um, I didn't mind him as James Bond. It was no. just like, it, it wasn't his fault that it just got really, really tough to get through this. I thought his his segments were actually the better segments. Yes. I liked him. Um so and also that he was uh Ian Fleming's actual pick to play James Bond oh, originally. Oh, that's right. Mhm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I liked him. I I thought he was uh he was very enjoyable. He was. I enjoyed him. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't realize that M was dis- was killed in that explosion. It looked like everyone was just sort of ducking and all the buildings were exploding. Yeah, well, it... And yeah. then the next thing we see is Bond travels to Scotland to return M's remains. Like, And we didn't know that that was exactly right. happening right then. Because it looked like the explosion was at, like you said, at the buildings. But like mm-hmm. Bond and M and a couple of other guys were all standing like far away from the property. Right. And we saw his toupee blow away. Outside, right. Like I guess like from the wind of the explosion. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't know. That the explosion at at uh Bond's house was a good distance away from where they were standing. So I I guess. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I did not I was confused just kind of right off the bat and like wait, M died? Yeah. How how did he how did he die but all of the other guys who were standing in very very close proximity to him not die or at least James Bond. I right. guess we don't really know specifically if the other guys died, but Bond didn't and he was standing like 2 feet from him. Mhm. Yeah. I, I don't know. That was already weird and yep. confusing and didn't make sense to me. Yeah. So Bond travels to Scotland to return M's remains to his grieving widow, Lady Fiona McTerry. However, the real Lady Fiona has been replaced by Smirsch's agent Mimi. 
The rest of the household have been likewise replaced, with Smirsch's aim to discredit Bond by destroying his, quote, celibate image. Attempts by a bevy of beauties to seduce Bond fail, but Mimi slash Lady Fiona becomes so impressed with Bond that she changes loyalties and helps Bond to foil the plot against him. On his way back to London, Bond survives another attempt on his life. So, I I found this segment, like, really funny. Yes. But also, like, confusing as crap. (laughs) Right. Uh, And... That that whole segment was like really, really super overdone. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that Mimi lady. I mean, like everybody's accents just incredibly thick. I think they were making fun of of Sean Connery to some degree. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I and they just had some really weird quote traditions mm-hmm. for how a Scottish funeral is carried out. Yeah. I wonder if there is any truth to any of that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They did some weird stuff. It was a lot of weird stuff and uh really uncomfortable like all the <laughs> all the daddy's daughters thing. I so I think yeah, I think there were like 11 daughters who were there and oh, I I thought it was really funny that their main mission was to destroy his celibate image. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously that is completely the opposite of Sean Connery's Bond. Right. Um so which I didn't think he had a celibate image anymore because he had already been complaining about how they had given his or maybe he did that later where they get I can't remember where he gave where they gave his name and number to uh he makes some reference to a guy who go who basically loves and leaves women who wind up dead or something. And mm. I wrote the quote down mm-hmm. and then, um, later also rel- laments how depressing it is that the, uh, the term secret agent has also become synonymous with sex addict, sex maniac, sex maniac. That's yes. it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. That one stood out to me because I was like, cool, man. They, call- they so, called it out. I'm just like, so how, celibate is his image like yeah well yeah so so he's in a household where there are these 11 daughters and they're they're all kind of just fawning all over him but sort of like in an innocent way like they're not just obviously yeah they're it seems innocent but they're all there to break him sexually right Right, but they're portraying it as though mm-hmm. they're not laying it on super thick and, you know, just, like, taking their clothes off and getting in his bed or something. Right. Um, and we're supposed to believe that they're all, what, between the ages of, like, 16 and 19 or something? And he's like, wait, there are 11 of you? Mm-hmm. But there's only three years age difference? How did that even happen? Yep. There's one scene mm-hmm. where uh, Bond goes to take a bath and I guess like walks into the the bathroom and one of the daughters is already in the bathtub mm-hmm. and she just invites him to go ahead and get in because that's what she would do for her daddy. Yeah, it was she weird. would bathe her father. Not to mention the one who like undresses daddy. Ugh. Yeah, there was some weird stuff in there, man. Like what part of that is supposed to be funny? Like except. <laughs> 
Except for the fact that they're, I mean, it's funny in, in as much as they're masquerading as M's daughters. Right. And, but they're also trying to seduce right. Bond and trying to pretend that what they're doing is normal. Um, which is, he's like, oh, he really was a different kind of man in Whitehall. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of funny because you, you have just walked into a really weird situation that you yeah. didn't know your friend was into. Yeah, and uh, but David Niven's Bond, uh, he he stays completely innocent like throughout the entire thing. He's he's really uncomfortable with mm-hmm. all of this stuff with the daughters. He doesn't try anything with any of them, and just very clearly is uncomfortable the whole time. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like if Sean Connery's Bond would have been there, he would have been like kind of down with any of it. <laughs> I feel like they would have been like crying and going, stop slapping me. I'm down. I'm down. I'm, I'm trying to seduce you, but why? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That would have been a different story, but that the whole thing where he was at the house for the funeral, it was weird. It was very strange, but at that point I was still hanging in there. Mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, I, this isn't really my kind of humor, but I don't hate it yet. Right. All right. So, Bond is promoted to the head of MI6 or MI5, whatever. He learns that many British agents around the world have been eliminated by enemy spies because of their inability to resist sex. Bond is also told that the sex maniac who was given the name of James Bond when the original Bond retired has gone to work in television. I don't know if that was a some I don't know if like Connery was working in television or what, but that's weird. That's weird. Yeah, I mean he was still doing Bond, but whatever. Uh. I, I just don't get it. I didn't see anything in the trivia that seemed to indicate anything. So mm. that he one's then, lost on us. Yep. He then orders that all remaining uh, MI6 agents will be named James Bond 007 to confuse Smirsh. He also creates a rigorous program to train male agents to ignore the charms of women. Money Penny recruits Coop a karate expert who begins training to resist seductive women. He also meets an exotic agent known as the Detainer. And that is pretty much the last time we see that guy. <laughs> it is! That's so weird! Like, I guess he might show up later on somewhere, but yeah. I think he does, like, at the very end, but it's just for not really yeah. a reason. And I, still, at this point, I was still kind of hanging in there. Same, you know, same stuff. Not totally my type of humor Mm -hmm. but you know it is kind of funny and interesting that they're like training like the most good looking um eligible bachelor type guy to resist all women Mm -hmm. you know they're just like give us the most attractive women all types of women like just give Mm -hmm. us all of the the women who are good at seducing like let's just train him to not give in to those urges. I did think it was funny that he would almost kiss every one of them and then just, like, body slam them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh, and I want to backtrack just just for sure. a minute. Uh, go back to, uh, uh, okay, Mimi, who was supposed to be, like, the mother of the 11 daughters, uh-huh. the supposed widow. Um, now, she did, in a matter of a handful of days, end up, falling in love with James Bond. Yeah, and the daughters were like, ah, she's turned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I thought that part was funny because that's totally a Sean Connery Bond thing mm-hmm. that uh, the the main female villain who was supposed to be carrying out a mission uh, to kill or destroy Bond in right. whatever way 
falls in love with him and turns good and tries to save him. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty typical, except the way she went about it was pretty funny. Yeah, that was that was good. I I have I have quotes from her, um, her character. Nice. Out. So I I was we I was confused because uh you know Bond he's like he's very like they like they keep trying to push this like he has a celibate image mm-hmm. situation but then his character is like oh money penny you don't look a day you know you don't look you don't look old or whatever she's like ah, I'm I'm the daughter and he's still <laughs> or he like kisses her and then she's like oh I'm her daughter and then says something about uh, work at, having to work late nights. And he's like, your mother did her best work at night. Like, Ew. Like, how, what? And then, like, her mission, as he sees it, is to, like, kiss a bunch of hot dudes and see which one is the best secret agent. Like, Yeah. I don't know, man. It was just weird. And then, like, the, yeah. the later reveal that he had an illegitimate kid with Matahari. Right. But he did really love Matahari. Yeah, but... Consist- that was, like, his great love... Whose loss he mourned. But even though he loved he he loved her and and he still like constantly made cracks about you know how promiscuous she was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, dude, come on. You were supposed to love this woman. Matahari is known for being for uh having lots of lavas. But mm-hmm. I also thought that that was an interesting spin. Lava. That um, a in a world where there is a celibate James Bond, he falls for a woman who is promiscuous. Yeah, that is, that could be interesting, yeah. Yeah. In, in a better movie, it would have been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Bond then hires Vesper Lind, a retired agent turned millionaire, to recruit Baccarat, as they called it, expert Evelyn Trimble, whom he intends to use to beat Smirsch against uh, Agent Lachif. Having embezzled Smirsch's money, Lachif is desperate for money to cover up his theft before he is executed. Following up a clue from Agent Mimi, Mimi uh, Bond persuades his estranged daughter, Mata Bond, to travel to West Berlin to infiltrate International Mother's Help an all-pair service that is a cover for a Smirsch training center. Mata uncovers a plan to sell compromising photographs of military leaders from the U.S., USSR, China, and Great Britain at an art auction, another scheme Lashif hopes to use to raise money. Mata destroys the photos. Lashif's only remaining option is to raise the money by playing Baccarat. Okay. Trimble arrives at the Casino Royale, <laughs> accompanied by Lind, who foils an attempt to disable him by seductive Smirsch agent Miss Goodthighs. <laughs> Later that night, Trimble observes Lashif playing at the casino and realizes that he is using infrared sunglasses to cheat. Lind steals the sunglasses, allowing Evelyn to beat to eventually beat Lashif in a game of Baccarat. Lind is apparently abducted outside the casino, apparently. And Trimble is... <laughs> I like that it says apparently. Yeah. Like, even the person who wrote the synopsis was like, uh, I think this is what happened. Yeah. And Trimble is also kidnapped while pursuing her. Lashif, desperate for the winning check, hallucinogenically tortures Trimble. Lind's, Lind rescues Trimble only to subsequently kill him. Meanwhile, Smirsch agents raid Lashif's base and kill him. Okay. I need to pause here. <laughs> uh... So I I I love once we get Trimble in the Casino Royale, mm-hmm. and we're dealing with freaking Orson Welles as Lashif. Yep, like 
that was the best thing ever. Super like, cool. I, I liked uh, Peter Sellers going into the back room, and he's like, oh, look, you have a tiger in your office. And the guy's <laughs> like, yes, I have three. There's that one, the one on the wall, and the one you're about to trip over. And he's like seriously about to trip over like a rug with a tiger head on it. And that was funny to me. Um, but I love Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Peter Sellers was doing in this movie. I sincerely don't. <laughs> like, I like Peter Sellers. I know he's difficult to work with. He's, he's legendary. He's a legendary butthole. <laughs> But he was like the Mike Myers of the sixties. Like mm, yeah. he but you know, actually a genius. So I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I mean there were actual problems with Peter Sellers on this movie. Yes. He they fired him. Um from what I can tell. Jeez. So like during filming? Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my god. Because he would just disappear for days on end. Now that's pretty serious. And yeah. they didn't recast him. They just tried to make do with the footage they had. Yeah. Oh gosh. So like we never see him get kidnapped. Like we just see they like just have him like jump in some sort of race car and drive yeah. off and then like all of a sudden he's in a torture chamber oh, that the chief has. Which is astonishing. That they weren't, they just were not able to film some scenes because Peter Sellers was just not on set anymore. Mm -hmm. And this movie was still excruciatingly long. Yeah. It felt like we were watching it for days. Yep. It sure (laughs) did, buddy. Sure did. I I asked Dave, I was like, please, can you just figure out a way to put the display up on the, on the screen like can we figure out there's got to be a way that we can figure out how far into this movie we are dude we still had 40 minutes left i'm like oh my gosh yep we're barely we're just barely over halfway oh my gosh and just so you guys know she she's not a luddite we we just (laughs) are not used to that particular blu-ray player we had to watch it on a (laughs) deep we had to watch a dvd We could not stream it anymore, Amazon Prime. We had to use a separate remote that we were unfamiliar with. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, let's see. Other other things of note. Um, old Honey Rider is back. Yeah, yeah uh, it's Vesper Lind. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool. We get... We probably, I assume, get to hear her actual voice. Mm-mm. Still no. Still no. Oh gosh, dude. No, it was just, I think it was Poor the same Ursula. lady. Oh Ursula, I'm <laughs> sorry. I just feel like that's somewhat of a discredit, but I mean, you know, she ended up having a, a pretty great career and probably making a whole ton of money. So yeah, maybe she doesn't. Care. She maybe was, she doesn't care. And she was able to free those gorgeous breasts, as they said. <laughs> oh, good God! Remember. Lois Maxwell was talking about how she was dancing without a bra. Yes. Good And those gracious. wonderful breasts were just... <laughs> oh. oh, and also... <laughs> Bouncing back and forth or something. Gosh. I uh, also thought it was neat that uh, when we were talking about how they were trying to train one of their agents to be able to resist any kind of woman, one of the women who was like... Uh, flirtatiously or seductively walking up to him was wearing a Honey Rider bikini. Yes, that was Honey Rider style bikinis. That was really neat. Yep, that, that was, was a, fun. That was a cool, 
reference. Uh, also, I would just like to say uh, I really liked um, Vesper. Is that her name? Is that yeah. Ursula's name on here? Yeah. I really liked Vesper's um, apartment or house or whatever. Yeah, that, that was, was cool. so sixties, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. She had like. I'm pretty sure it was in her bedroom, but she had that, like, sunken in, mm-hmm. enormous, like, wraparound sectional sofa yeah. in, in her bedroom yep. that is, like, the size of our house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Emphasis really on sex. Cool. Sectional. Oh, God. Well, yeah, that was that was really cool. A perfect spot for polished lovemaking. <laughs> or, uh, or doodling. Doodling. Right? Isn't that what Mimi said in yeah, here? She, doodle me. She kept going, doodle me, James. Doodle me. Doodle me. Good gosh. Uh, yeah, but, you know, uh, <laughs> even, even with the things that we have said were, like, positive points. Uh-huh. Uh... I was barely hanging on Orson Welles' monologue um, when they were playing Baccarat. Mm -hmm. Um, Interested me and, you know, helped me get through a little bit more of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then just, I mean, after that, the whole, like, weirdo torture stuff and I just... Anything after that point, I was kind of just checked out because it was awful and it was tough to get through it felt like the movie forgot what the point was. Yeah. Uh, like, was it still a satire at that point? Were they trying to tell an actual story at that point? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know a whole lot about Ian Fleming's Casino Royale story. The, the well, this I'll didn't, get into that a little bit Okay. Later. I don't know. Like, I kept looking at Dave and I was like, at what point do we get to Casino Royale? Yeah. Um, for the movie to be called Casino Royale, it mm-hmm. just felt like that was kind of a blip. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So anyway, I know there's still more synopsis left, but, uh, right. I was just very disinterested, uh, at this point. In yeah. The movie. <laughs> like I was like, there was a point where you had checked out and then you I were... really had to the point where I was actually kind of pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was a like point. I was just kind of starting to get angry that we still had to watch this. Why did they make so much movie? <laughs> At some point, like it, it was, it was bad because you were like, like I was annoyed, <laughs> and then like you started talking to the cat, to uh-huh. our to our cat Doug, <laughs> and Orson Welles. As one does. Yeah, and then Orson Welles came on screen and started talking. I was like, babe, and I yeah, almost ruined like our that, marriage. But. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the like the the one shining moment the one thing i was looking forward to the entire movie it was like no orson wells is the shift you don't understand <laughs> you don't understand no more talking to the cat we've got to listen to what orson wells has to say <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness and it was worth it he was awesome yeah he was good I loved all of the he magic was really bits. Good. I so loved all the magic bits. Like he, in between the hands, and he just he kept doing like pulling out like sparklers and stuff. <laughs> and I don't know, dude. That he was he was great, and uh, he's he he was a, a, a magnetic performer. 
Like that dude could always just like get my attention every time he speaks. I'm just like, ooh, what is Orson Welles doing? Yeah, it felt like um, when he was talking, it felt like he was like directly speaking to us. Mm-hmm. It. I mean, he wasn't obviously he wasn't looking into the camera. It was just like when he speaks, it demands your attention. Mm-hmm. Even with Maurice LaMarche doing all of his impersonations of, of Orson Welles over the years on Futurama and mm. uh, The Critic, uh, and of course, who can forget his, basically his turn as Orson Welles and Pinky and the Brain. Because <laughs> the brain is just Orson Welles. Yeah, that's great. Um, but he's done so many like P parody commercials and stuff as Orson Welles. <laughs> anyway. Um... Which did are you aware of the Orson Welles pee commercials? They're real, and pee? They, yes, like, like urine, f- like, no frozen pee commercials. Oh, okay, I'm not sure which one is better, but like no. there are outtakes. I'll find them and I'll play them for you. Okay. Maybe we'll even talk about them, or maybe we'll stick it after the credits or something. Mm-hmm. Um, where he is just dismantling the writing. <laughs> That's great. Of the, he's just like, they're like, can you do it a little? He's like, oh, this is, this is bullshit. Like he's like so angry. Wow. He hates it. He hates the P commercials. He's talking about stuff like it doesn't, it doesn't flow. It it sounds That's coarse to the ear. Amazing. <laughs> Who writes like this? <laughs> That's awesome. It's so great. Anyway. <laughs> I don't have another outlet for talking about Orson Welles right now. Oh, yeah, man. I need to start an You're Orson good. Welles podcast. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Let's see. In London, Mata is kidnapped by Smirsh in a giant flying saucer. Yeah. What the heck? Where did that even come from? Well, you know... At this point, I had checked out on anything being, like, making sense, you know? Yeah. Like, once the Smirsh agents walk into the elevator and Lashif is watching them on the monitor, intercut with... Oh, that probably showed up. <laughs> intercut with uh, hallucinations with Peter Sellers and the marching band and Peter O'Toole's oh there for some gosh. reason. And then, you know... So weird. And because they don't have any, I guess because they didn't have, I don't know if this was a joke in the script or whatever, but he's watching the Smirsh guys come for him. And then they just like bust through the TV screen and shoot him. Oh my god! That was dumb. And also like around this point, the DVD started skipping. And Mm -hmm. uh, so we had to like take it out and clean it and then find out where our place was. Oh, I had to take it to a, I had to put it on the skip doctor. I had to grind it. (laughs) I had to like refinish it to get it to work. I guess it was in in pretty bad shape. Well, I bought a pretty cheap version of it off Amazon. Okay. Well, I'm really glad we didn't pay a lot of money for that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we had to rewind to find where we left off and as we were rewinding we saw the ufo situation and we're just like what is happening yep it was not explained no not really (laughs) oh oh we uh we did not discuss uh woody allen's introduction his first scene oh i yeah i enjoyed it yeah quite a bit that was like one part that i enjoyed um 
I did really like that. Yeah, he just constantly ad-libbed in his scenes, though. Did he? Yeah. Well, he did a good job. I enjoyed it. And also, I'm like, with the exception of, like, a few more wrinkles and gray hair, I just think that guy has looked the same Mm -hmm. probably since he was, like, 18. (laughs) Yeah. He just, I mean, it's very clearly Woody Allen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I... I enjoyed him. Um, he, we see him, and he's in front of a firing squad. He's about to be uh, executed, and uh, he asks for a cigarette for one one last smoke. And then it turns out that it's a gadget, and he just like throws the cigarette at uh, the firing squad, and it explodes. He climbs up over the wall. He gets away. He gets on the other side of the wall. And it's and another it's, firing squad. <laughs> it's another firing squad who has just killed another guy. <laughs> yep, that was enjoyable. It's just the same thing on a different side of the wall. Yeah. And it felt very Woody Allen, too. It did. <laughs> that scene did. Yes. Um. So, yeah, in London, uh, Mata, is, Mata Bond is kidnapped by Smirsh in a giant flying saucer. Whatever. And Sir James and Moneypenny travel to Casino Royale to rescue her. They discovered that the casino is located atop a giant underground headquarters run by the evil Dr. Noah, secretly Sir James's nephew, Jimmy Bond. That's, uh... Oh, right. That's Woody Allen. Yep. A former MI6 agent who defected to Smirsh to spite his famous uncle. Jimmy reveals that he plans to use biological warfare to make all women beautiful and kill all men over four foot six inches. Uh, leaving him as the big man who gets all the girls. Jimmy has already captured the detainer, and he tries to convince her to you to be his partner. She agrees, but only to dupe him into swallowing one of his atomic time pills, turning him into a walking atomic bomb. That was all pretty enjoyable. It was all right. Um, oh, I did like the reveal that uh, Jimmy Bond was the bad guy. Yeah. And that his name was Dr. Noah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought it was a funny thing that even as a supervillain, he, could, he couldn't manage to uh, <laughs> speak in front of his uncle because uh, right. of his... He was still kind of a bumbling villain. Yeah. That it was, was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Sir James, Moneypenny, Mata, and Coop managed to escape from their cell and fight their way back to the casino director's office where Sir James establishes Lind as a double agent. The casino is then overrun by secret agents and a battle ensues. So then American and French support arrive. But just to add to the chaos, Jimmy counts down a series of hiccups, each bringing him closer to doom. Eventually, the atomic pill explodes, destroying Casino Royale with everyone inside. Sir James and all of his agents then appear in heaven, and Jimmy Bond is shown uh, descending to hell. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so when the Americans show up, and they're all (laughs) cowboys on horseback, which is weird. That was dumb. And then, like, all the Native Americans show up. What? Yeah, man, I don't know. Why? I don't know. It was just... <laughs> so weird. What a bad movie. Yep. Okay. Um, Is this a good introduction to James Bond? I don't think it is. I don't either. I don't think it's a good introduction to anything. <laughs> Satire, spoof films. I just... If... Uh, I don't... It didn't have to be this terrible. Like, it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. There were parts of it that were funny and mm-hmm. enjoyable. 
Uh, if they had made it maybe 90 minutes long instead of 130, um, it maybe could have been salvaged if they had, you know, done some rewriting and some editing. And... I think they did a lot of that. <sighs> yeah. Maybe, they did a lot of that. But, no, I don't think it's a good introduction. Yep. This was really tough to get through. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, I think what got me through a good bit of it, uh... Is that I was like, oh, well, this this will be a nice break from Sean Connery stuff. Because we, out of the four Sean Connery films, Bond films that we've watched, we've liked two of them. And mm-hmm. then the other two, not so great. I was like, you know, this this will be a nice little break. No. <laughs> that did not hold. Yeah. Um... Yeah, okay. Uh, Based on this movie alone, would you want to keep watching the franchise? If I thought the other movies were going to be like this one, no. Uh (laughs) Absolutely not. I would like maybe watch one more to be like, are they all going to be this bad? And if Uh the next one was about this caliber, I would stop. Would you recommend this movie to anyone you love? No. I'm sorry. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't. <laughs> I would not either. I would recommend someone YouTubing the Lashif Lashif yeah. parts and be like, Ch- dude, check out Orson Welles on this. Yeah. Um. All right. Thoughts on actors? I thought David Niven did a great job. Yeah. I enjoyed him quite a bit. Uh, Orson Welles, top notch. Peter Sellers, I don't know what he was doing here in this film. It seemed weird. Um. He didn't do a terrible job. I just don't know what he was doing. Um, yeah. Ursula Andress was fine. She actually seemed like a completely different character than, than yes. Honey Rider, and yep, that was she great. Did a good job. Um, let me just throw this out here, okay? Um, I have not seen all of his films. Mm-hmm. What I have seen, I have enjoyed. Woody Allen. Um, I understand, as I understand it, as many people understand it. Uh, he might be and probably is a pedophile creep. I don't know. Because of the uh, adopted daughter marriage thing? Oh, no, not just that. They're, oh, okay. like, Mia Farrow says that he uh, did did stuff to their daughter, to or to her, her daughter. Uh, her, mm. uh, like, what was her name? Soon Yi. No, different one. Oh. The... Uh, Ronan Farrow, but then... Oh, okay, not the adopted. So, like, the girl that she, that he purportedly messed with or molested mm. says that he did it, but she was really super young when it happened. Yeah. Like, really, really young. And then, like, another of Mia Farrow's kids say that he's innocent. Hmm. So, I don't know. And I understand anyone who's angry and thinks, like, you know... The court date, the, the, you know, he was, well, he's not in jail. They went to court over it, yeah. but it was not like a cut and dry thing. It was a, right. dude, something's weird here. Sort of like a gray area. Yeah. Like, like the yeah. judge was like, something's weird here. And oh. I can't remember the, I can't remember the, uh, the specifics of it. Yeah. Uh, I do think Woody Allen is funny. But I also get the heebie-jeebies and I'm creeped out by him. So I don't know how to feel because Mm. we've got, you know, a lot of different words out there (laughs) about what he is and isn't. So 
Um, I just oh. I wanted to acknowledge that. I'm not, you know, <laughs> saying, oh, he's funny. He's yeah. never done anything wrong. He might, he, I mean, certainly the Sunyi thing was weird and creepy. But eh, It's weird. Um, but they're, uh, so I was, I was just looking him up on Wikipedia because mm-hmm. I was curious how tall he is, you know, because I was like, well, he wanted to, like, kill all the men who are over 4'6". Jeez, how short is this guy? Uh, he's 5'5". Five five. Uh-huh. That's my height. Yeah. So, I don't know. He just seems like he's shorter than that. I don't know. He does. Uh, but anyway, when I was looking up his height, looking at his Wikipedia page, uh, he's 84, for one thing. Yeah. I didn't realize he was that old. But... Um, He's been married three times, and he's had Wikipedia listed two other partners, Diane Keaton and Mia Farrow. Mm-hmm. So he's had, I mean, you know, he's 84. He's mm-hmm. lived a lifetime. He's had several uh, really serious long-term relationships, but uh, it looks like consistently he's been married to his adopted daughter since 97. Mm-hmm. So that's his longest relationship yet. Yeah. So whatever is between them seems like it's sincere. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, man. I don't understand. But yeah, I mean, it is a weird thing, but you know, it's he's he's not like our uncle. We don't have to like see them together at family get-togethers or right. something. Right. I'm I'm so I'm at least a... it's something that we can at least kind of just push out of our thoughts most of the time. Yeah. He is Creepy to some degree, and possibly a pervert, so <laughs> or you know, with serious issues. But who knows? I don't know. I don't know what exactly happened. I'm not there. <laughs> um. Oh, so also at well, I was gonna say at one point it may have been more than one time in this movie. Um, they were actually playing Benny Hill music. Were they? They're yes. I they're, didn't think they were really. I didn't see anything thought, about it, but they might have. I thought I we know. looked at each other when we were like, "Yeah, they're, they're actually doing it," because they're, or maybe they were playing Benny Hill type. I music. think it was type music, but it was all done. It was all like composed by Bacharach, from what I understand. Bert Bacharach. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. I don't know. I thought that was funny because I know there has been at least one time with a Sean Connery film where Dave and I were like, "Yeah, we're just waiting for that Benny Hill music to start yep, playing." Thunderball. Yep. So they actually, they actually did it in this one. Sounds like someone else was kind of feeling that way as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, um, man, I got sick of that music. Yep. They kept playing the same, the same thing over and over again. It was just like the same music. Yep. It was just mind numbing. It was. Here's the part of the podcast where my cat needs attention. <laughs> yep. That's the thing that happens. <laughs> Hey, baby. Hey, baby. How you doing? Hey, kid. Are you okay? She does not like it when we come in here. Well, sometimes she's okay with it. And then sometimes she's like, wait, people. I need people. I'll have you know that five (laughs) people are going to hear you meowing. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But yeah, I thought all the actors did a pretty good job for the most part. Yeah. You know, I, it was fine. It was not a weak film because of the acting. Mm-mm. Alrighty. Shall we continue? Yep. Shall we begin? Sorry. 
Uh, let's go to favorite quotes. You got any? Um, I do not have any favorite quotes. Uh-huh. Just uh, two quotes that I w- wanted to mention. Uh, we already kind of talked about this one. Uh, when somebody says, uh, I didn't, I didn't do a good job of putting down the exact quote. Something about the secret agent has become synonymous with sex maniac. Yeah. He says it's depressed because they're mentioning all the different, like the brothels and and whatnot, the bathhouses and stuff that all these agents have been killed in. Yeah. And he says it's depressing that the word secret agent have become synonymous with sex maniac. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty good thing to call out. Yep. Um, here was another quote that was really creepy that made me and Dave cringe. Uh, Mm -hmm. when James Bond's daughter, Mata, says, if you weren't my father, I think I could fancy you. Yep. Ew. That was gross. Gross, man. That was gross. It's like some Woody Allen bullcrap there. (laughs) You went there. Yuck. What else you got? You got anything else for the favorite quotes? That's it, man. That's it. I had several. Um, I liked when he was like, oh, by the way, Money Penny, have you heard, (laughs) since I've come in here, have you heard me stammer? She says, no, sir. He says, splendid. Let me know if I do. I haven't got time for that sort of thing now. Yeah. That's good. Um, When he was talking about his era's type of spy, he says, vocationally devoted, sublimely disinterested. Hardly a description of that sexual acrobat who leaves a trail of dead, beautiful women like so many blown roses behind him. <laughs> that bounder to whom you gave my name and number. <laughs> I enjoyed that quite yeah. a bit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Doug liked it too. Yep. Uh, when Jimmy Bond, when Woody Allen is flailing around and he can't speak. And uh, he's trying to communicate. And Sir James says, I never should have sent him to that progressive school. <laughs> oh when they're undressing him in in uh, at uh m's house mm-hmm. the woman had like we see her head go out of frame because she's like taking off his pants and there's like a lot of shuffling around he goes be careful that's my loose kneecap <laughs> oh that's right oh god oh my word that was really funny to me oh, <laughs> that's geez. my loose kneecaps <laughs> Um, <laughs> I enjoyed it when they were trying to convince him to come out of retirement and he says calamity makes strange bedfellows uh, bedfe- I've not got to do his stammer <laughs> strange bedfellows but why I wonder in the strength of your unity do you disturb an old fashioned gentleman in his retirement and M says we need your inspirational leadership in this dark hour and Legrand says please give us the benefit of your incorrigible powers of deduction and Ransom says, for the freedom-loving peoples of the world. And Smirnov says, for the sake of the glorious socialist revolution. And Sir James says, if I may interrupt this flow of cliche. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was good. Um, oh, man, when he when he goes to the M's castle or whatever, and um, he's... Uh, Agent Mimi uh, slash, or portraying uh, M's widow, says, Not else remains of his body, you know? And James says, Nothing to speak of, I'm afraid. It was found in a tree, a hundred yards from where he stood. It took off, was it were, <laughs> and flew like a, like a bird. But whether it is an article of apparel or an anatomical feature, that is the question. Should it be given Christian burial? 
just how personal is a toupee? <laughs> and then she says, it can only be regarded as a heirloom. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hollered. That, that was so funny to me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was terrible. But, I mean, it was it was pretty funny, but also just awful. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the last thing I have is her coming to his room, and she says, Sleep on hard nails on thinking on me, dearie. All along, night awake, groveling in grief. Comfort me, Jamie, lad. Give me your bosom to weep on. Doodle me, Jamie. Gross. And he says, really, madam? And she says, I hereby claim my widow's due according to McTarry tradition. Let me be comforted. Doodle me. And he says, a quaint custom, but one more honored in the breach than in observance. <laughs> <laughs> I liked all of that. Oh, that was, my goodness. That was fun. That was when it was still uh, tolerable to watch. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, favorite scene, Orson Welles. Yeah. Orson Welles at the Baccarat table. Sure, sure. Uh, my favorite was uh, the first scene with Woody Allen in it, in front mm-hmm. of the firing squad. Um, I also thought, like, the funniest part mm-hmm. was, like, everything having to do with, uh, like, the traditional Scottish funeral, the fake... Widow, Mimi, all of the daughters yeah. and stuff. That whole sequence was really strange, mm-hmm. but it was still funny. Like, mm-hmm. it still kind of felt like an actual spoof. Right. Um, and it it was, you know, it was not difficult to get through. Yep. <laughs> uh, my least favorite scene was everything else. That is part, literally like, what I just... wrote down. Least favorite, everything past the one hour mark. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Help. Help us. <laughs> what do you what do you hope seeing going for, hope to see going forward? Uh what is the next movie we're gonna watch? Uh You Only Live Twice. Still a Sean Connery? Yep. Okay. Well I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe uh this kind of cleansed my palate. To get yeah. me ready for another Sean Connery. Right. Um, hopefully this one's a good one. Makes Thunderball look a lot better, don't it? It sure does, man. Oh, it man. really does. Oh my goodness. Alright. So uh what's your what's your rating for this one? Um, one point five doodles out of five. <laughs> Doodle to me, Jamie. <laughs> um I'm going to give it um <laughs> Point five random flying saucers <laughs> out of five. God, point five. Point five. That's rough, dude. Yes, ma'am. So in the ranking, my ranking, the best movie is Doctor No, second Goldfinger, three from Russia with Love, four Thunderball, and five Casino Royale, which I imagine will stay there for the rest yeah. of this cast. Uh, yeah. Um. Yep. Same order for me. I really hope that I don't have to go put something else oh, lower God. than that. Yeah, I hope there's not anything worse than yeah. this Casino Royale. Yeah. Um, let me also say that my 1.5 doodles out of 5, that's <laughs> that's really like 1.25 of that is for like the first 45 minutes of the movie. Okay. <laughs> 
I mean, like, I just really don't have anything for, like, about two-thirds of this movie. I mean, my point five is there because of Orson Welles. Yeah. And I did enjoy some of the, in that 45 minutes, but it was such a bad movie. Yeah, but, you know, for it to have been so difficult to get through, um, well, for us to watch it, but I feel like it was kind of difficult to get through when they were filming. Mm -hmm. Um, They really had some big-name people on there. Oh, yeah. Like, even at that point, they were still big deals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like, this movie has more actors whose names I recognize, who I am familiar with, Mm -hmm. than any of the Sean Connery films we have watched. Oh, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's interesting. Um, do you have some trivia about Burt Bacharach in here? Nope. Oh man. Okay. Well, not really. Uh, let me see what I can remember from some stuff about Burt Bacharach. Um, I don't, I guess really just the main thing is that, uh, he was involved with the Austin Powers movies. Yeah. So that's really cool. That's neat that, you know, he did the music for this movie and then mm-hmm. also did music for Austin Powers. Yeah. I mean, also, uh, his name sounds very similar to Baccarat. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, I did, I did, I think I did hear that, like, the soundtrack was considered uh, one of the best analog recordings. Nice. By, like, uh, music files or something. Well, good for him. But, so, yeah. there's, there's another, like, really talented person they had working yeah. on this film. Oh, yeah. What Plenty. happened? Uh, they had everything they needed. Mm, they maybe made that. I think they had too much. Mm. So this, uh, this, we'll get into some trivia here. Um, the budget for this movie was twelve million dollars, mm-hmm. and it was not originally twelve million dollars. It just kept going over budget. Oh gosh! It grossed forty-one point seven million, which means that it had a net profit of seventy-one point two two percent. Not bad for this trash. Mm-mm. No. Uh, they 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 pulled in twenty nine million seven hundred thousand dollars. Their profit percentage was two hundred forty seven point fifty percent. Wow! So, uh, Peter Sellers and Orson Welles hated each other. Oh, okay. Uh, and the filming of the scene where both of them faced off at the baccarat table was uh, filmed on different days with doubles standing in for the for the other actors because they wouldn't do a, a scene together. Mm. The uh, the conflict between them became legendary, but it was actually apparently Sellers who suggested Wells for the role of Lashif. Uh, apparently, the rift between them was uh, partly because on uh, <laughs> Princess Margaret, sister of Queen Elizabeth II, showed up on set, and uh, Sellers had known her previously and greeted her, uh, as they say, in an ostentatious manner. To ensure all cast and crew noticed, however, she wow. walked straight past him and made a big fuss over Orson Welles. <laughs> Seller, I'll do it! Yep, Sellers stormed off the set and refused to film with Welles again. Oh my god, what a baby. Yeah. Uh, Woody Allen's scenes were shot in London, and producers delayed his final day of shooting so many times that out of frustration, he left the set, went directly to Heathrow Airport, and flew back to New York City without changing out of his costume. Oh my gosh! <laughs> So this is the second person who just wasn't showing up for se- on set. Well, they they just kept pushing his scene back. So he wasn't that he wasn't showing up on set. It was that it was he left. It was the opposite problem. They just kept yeah. saying we don't need you today, and he's oh, like, oh god. Uh, according to interviews with director Val Guest, Peter Sellers became such a problem 
that uh, the decision was made to fire him before he had finished all of his scenes. As a result, the end of the marching band torture scene was noticeably altered and Seller's subsequent scenes were written out. Yeah. Uh, back in 62, Ian Fleming had already decided on David Niven for the role of James Bond, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, apparently most of the stars were not aware they had signed on, or when they signed on that this was a comedy. <gasps> oh no. They thought it was a straight James Bond movie. Oh, that's awful. Yep. That's really awful. Yep. I wonder if there was anyone who was supposed to be in this film who found that out later and somehow used that to get out of their contract. I don't know. That's terrible. For the scene uh, where she was supposed to seduce James Bond wearing a nightgown and suggestively cradling a big bottle of champagne, Jacqueline Bissett was uh, shocked when Peter Sellers suddenly, suddenly turned on her and fired a gun directly into her face when she entered the room. Though the gun only had blanks, the stunt left her face coated in burning gunpowder and bleeding from where the shards tore her skin. Oh my gosh. She says, first I thought I had been actually shot, and then when I realized it, had been a blank i thought i'd been blinded my face looked like a shower spout of pinpricks leaking blood oh my gosh uh the noise scared her so much she dropped the champagne bottle on her feet after that she says i was panicked whenever i had a scene with peter sellers to get shot in your first scene with the big star that is a nightmare that's terrible Uh uh-huh that actually sounds like a nightmare it does oh my gosh well she I don't know, man. Uh, I kudos to her, maybe, for uh, still showing up for future days of work, dude. I think I probably just would have left. Maybe, yeah. Like y'all didn't prepare me for this. Well, once you've been shot, you might as well keep coming in. God, but yeah, but like once that happens, like I would be fearful of like what else are they not going to prepare me for or protect me from on this set? Mm-hmm. I would feel like this is so unprofessional. No one cares about me. Why don't I just leave? Mm-hmm. That's awful. Some biographies of Peter Sellers suggest that he took the role of Bond to heart and was annoyed at the decision to make the film a comedy, as he wanted to play Bond straight. Mm. This is illustrated in somewhat fictionalized form in The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, based on the biography by Roger Lewis, who has claimed that Sellers kept rewriting and improvising scenes himself to make them play seriously. This story is in agreement with the observation that the only parts of the film close to the book are the ones featuring Sellers and Orson Welles. Mm. Uh, according to writer Eric Lacks, Woody Allen was astonished by what he viewed as extravagant spending on the film. <laughs> for example, he was flown in and put up in an expensive hotel for several weeks doing nothing oh. before they got around to shooting his scenes and the chaotic production. That just sounds very disorganized. <clears throat> so Woody Allen wrote a letter to his friend and um, <laughs> he described the production <clears throat> and he writes. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, it's a madhouse. I haven't begun filming yet, but saw the sets of my scenes. They are the height of bad pop art, expensive vulgarity. Wow. Saw rushes and am dubious to put it mildly, but probably film will coin a mint. Not money, just a single peppermint. <laughs> I play the villain. Okay, to give that out. And also James Bond's bastard nephew. Not alright to give that out. But I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> and my part changes every day as new stars fall in. I would like it emphasized and made quite clear that I am not a writer of Casino. I'm adding a few ad-lib jokes to my own part, but that's all. In fact, we demanded a letter saying my name cannot appear on screen as a writer. <laughs> this because everyone who contributed a comma is demanding his name on the film, and the writer's list looks like Terry Southern, Ben Hecht, 
uh, <laughs> Michael Sayers, Frank Buxton, Mickey Rose, Peter Sellers, Val Guest, Wolf Mankiewicz, etc. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, Peter Sellers oh hired Peter Sellers hired Terry Southern to write his dialogue and not the rest of the script to outshine <gasps> Orson Welles and Woody Allen. Oh my gosh, dude! Um, <laughs> wow. The film is known as somewhat of a harbinger in Guatemala. It's it's known as the movie of the night before the earthquake because it aired for the first time in the country on February third, nineteen seventy six, hours before an earthquake that killed thousands. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Wow. Why would they blame it on that movie or like the night or put that on that movie, you know? Yeah, that's weird. Orson Welles attributed the success of the film to a marketing strategy that featured a naked tattooed lady on the film's poster and print ads. Yep, I have seen <laughs> I have seen that. Yep. Wow. Um Peter Sellers often caused interruptions by leaving the set for days at a time. I wonder uh if most of the profit from this film was because people thought they were seeing a serious James Bond film. Maybe. And then, like, word got out that it was terrible, and, you know, everybody else was like, oh, okay, I won't see it. But I for mean, some people, they were like, well, the damage is done. It's I already still, saw it. I mean, it still got a lot of money. I know, it still made a pretty solid profit. Uh, in 19... Sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, Peter Sellers punched director Joseph McGrath, a personal friend, when he complained about Sellers' behavior on the set. Wow. In 19, what a butthole. Yep. In 1999, MGM paid Sony $10 million for the rights to this movie. Oh my gosh. I guess they just... I mean, they wanted all the Bond movies. Yeah. The film's original studio-approved budget was $6 million, a large sum for 1966. Jeez. Production problems resulted in the shoot running months over schedule. By the time the film was finally complete, the budget had more than doubled, making it one of the most expensive films ever <gasps> made up to that time. That is ridiculous. The previous official Bond movie, Thunderball, had a budget of 9 to $11 million. You Only Live Twice, released the same year, had a budget of 9.5 to $11.5 million. The film got a reputation as a mini Cleopatra, referring to the out-of-control costs of the film that almost bankrupted 20th Century Fox. Good gosh, and it is not worth it. Mm-mm. That is ridiculous. Did they... God, dude, I just can't believe how mismanaged this whole project was. Mm-hmm. Um, a carpet beater can be seen, seen hanging from the side of Orson Welles' chair. This is a link to the original Casino Royale novel in which Lashif tortures Bond by thrashing his testicles with a carpet beater. Good gosh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in the 2006 version, too. Oh, my. Ugh. Watch out, Daniel. <laughs> so, they had a bunch of uh, actresses from the Eon movies in this movie. And, uh... This this little piece of trivia lists a bunch of them, but it also says uh, gives a special shout out to Nikki Vanderzal, who dubbed the Bond girls as she does in most official films, mm. and as ever she is uncredited. Man, yep. I wonder what her paycheck was. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. It sounds like, especially since well, I don't know, man. It sounds like she's kind of she should be as iconic as the Bond girls are. Mm-hmm. She's just unknown because she wasn't mm. accredited um orson wells apparently insisted on including magic tricks in his scenes <laughs> which was a possible source of friction between him and sellers oh my gosh because peter sellers hates joy and wonder 
I don't know. I just think it's really weird that Orson Welles wanted to include magic tricks. Oh my I really enjoyed it and that, thought it was hilarious. That is weird. And Peter Sellers just really is a butthole, man. He's like, well, I already don't like him. Now he wants to do magic. Yep. Oh, God. He knows the queen. It wasn't even the queen. It was the princess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Um, hmm. Woody Allen was inspired to direct his own films after experiencing the chaotic production of this film. Wow. Peter Sellers ordered one set to be torn down because he had a dream the night before in which his mother had visited uh, Shepperton and told him she didn't like it. Dear gosh. <laughs> Get over yourself. Uh, producer oh. Charles K. Feldman originally intended to make the film as a co-production with official James Bond series producers Stoltzman and Broccoli. Wow. With, Sh- with Sean Connery as James Bond and Shirley MacLaine as Vesper Lynn. Oh my. Stoltzman and Broccoli had just co-produced Thunderball with Kevin McClory and didn't want to do it again. United Artists supposedly offered Feldman $500,000 for the rights to Casino Royale in 1965, but the offer was rejected. Forced to produce the film on his own, Feldman approached Connery to star as Bond. Unwilling to meet Connery's $1 million salary demand, Feldman decided to turn the film into a spoof and cast David Niven as Bond. After the film went through numerous production problems and an exploding budget, Feldman met Connery at a Hollywood party and reportedly told Connery it would have been cheaper to pay him the million dollars. Wow. Yep. Wow. Uh, Peter Sellers was unavailable for the filming of an ending and of linking footage to explain the details, leaving the filmmakers to devise a way to make the existing footage work without him. The framing device of a beginning and ending with David Niven was invented to salvage the footage. Val Guest indicated that he was given the task of creating a narrative thread which would link all segments of the film. He chose to use the original Bond and Vesper as linking characters to tie the story together. Guest states that in the originally released versions of the film, a cardboard cutout of Sellers in the background was used for the final scenes. In later versions, this cardboard cutout image was replaced by a sequence showing Sellers in Highland dress, inserted by trick photography. Yikes. Uh, David Prowse commented on his part in the film, apparently his big screen debut. He claimed that he was originally asked to play Super Pooh, a giant Winnie the Pooh in a superhero costume who attacks Evelyn Tremble during the torture of the mind sequence. Oh my. This idea, as with many others in in the film script, was rapidly dropped, and Prowse was recast as a Frankenstein-type monster for the closing scenes. Oh, right. Yeah. We were confused as to why he showed up. Yeah. The final (laughs) sequence was principally uh, directed by former actor and stuntman Richard Talmadge. The film premiered in April on April thirteenth, nineteen sixty-seven, exactly fourteen years to the day after the in, in Fle- the, the Ian Fleming Casino Royale novel was published. The film was released two months before You Only Live Twice. It was the first time two James Bond films were released in the same year. Mm-hmm. It happened again sixteen years later with Octopussy and Never Say Never Again. Wow! After the film proceeded to make to become a flop at the box office. Joseph McGrath was approached by some of the producers of the movie who told him that whilst they didn't blame him for all the tension and problems which occurred during filming, they made it clear they would never that they never wanted to work with that bastard Sellers ever again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Proceeded to become <clears throat> a flop. Yeah, I guess it was technically a flop. Huh. But, you know, some other trivia said that it was only considered a flop because it didn't do as well as the other Bond movies. Mm. So, hmm. 
Um, virtually nothing from Ben Hecht's scripts were ever filmed. He died from a heart attack in April of uh, 1964, two days before he was due to present it to Charles Feldman. Mm. Time reported in 1966 that the script had been completely rewritten by Billy Wilder, and by the time the film reached production, only the idea that the name James Bond should be given to a, a number of other agents remained. This key plot device in the finished film, in the case of Hecht's version, occurs after the demise of the original James Bond, an event which happened prior to the beginning of the story. Which, as Hex M puts it, not only perpetuates his memory, but confuses the opposition. Hmm. Again, I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Um, in his book, Woody Allen, a biography, John Baxter lists uncredited contributors to the movie script, including Allen collaborator uh, Mickey Rose, Frank Buxton, Orson Welles, Joseph McGrath, John Houston, and former MGM president Dor Sherry. There's no telling how many people wrote on this thing. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah. Peter Sellers secured a good back-end deal on the film, though, and it was still making him money and his estate as late as 2011. Oh, my gosh. Yep. The stress of of making the film proved so much for producer Charles K. Feldman that he developed heart problems that ultimately killed him a year later. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Signs of missing footage from the Peter Sellers segments are evident at various points. Evelyn Trimble is not captured on camera. An outtake of Sellers entering a racing car was substituted. In in this outtake, Sellers calls for the car, a la Pink Panther, to chase Mm. down Vesper and her kidnappers. The next thing that is shown is Trimble being tortured. Outtakes of Sellers were also used for Trimble's dream sequence, pretending to play the piano on Ursula Andress's torso. In the finale, blowing out the candles whilst in Highland dressed... Uh, dress and at the end of the film when all the various James Bond doubles are together. In the kidnap sequence, Trimble's death is also very abruptly inserted. It consists of pre-existing footage of Sellers being rescued by Vesper followed by a later filmed shot of her abruptly deciding to shoot him followed by a freeze frame over some of the previous footage of her surrounded by bodies. Good grief. Yep. So, that's the end of trivia. Oh my gosh, man. You can see some of the problems. <laughs> some. Some. <laughs> All right. Kind of sounds like it was just a poo-poo storm, David. Yes, ma'am. Oh my gosh. I think it was. All right, let's get a little bit of feedback and we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Double bag. Um, What's happening? I don't know. <laughs> Pop Culture Czar over on Twitter says, Just listen to the Dr. No episode of Breaking Bond. Great job. I'm glad Bethany has seen James Bond and not just Jimmy. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't go with Honey Child Wilder as a name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thank you for saying great job. Yeah, thanks. David Wang over on the Facebook group. Yeah, we got a Facebook group. What? What is it? I don't Breaking Bondcast, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes or something. Join us. <laughs> you know, every time I say I hear someone say "join us" or I say jo- uh, "join us," I think of uh, there was a sketch, a comedy sketch I was writing years and years ago uh, when George W. Bush was still in office, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be like it was going to be me playing both Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, like coming together to do some sort of like uh, public service announcement slash charity thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the bits in it was George W. Bush not reading his his cue cards right. And he goes, please, Joe Enos. <laughs> I remember that. And Bill going, 
that, that's join us. <laughs> like, what? Join us. I thought it was a lady named Joanus. You know, it just. Oh, God. As I think about that every time I hear join us. <laughs> or say it. Please, awesome. Joanus. That's awesome. <laughs> also, I don't know if uh, W was responsible for this, but uh, if he was, it. I get so aggravated hearing people say nuclear. It's not of, him. It's It's been around forever. I guess maybe he was like the main person people noticed mispronouncing it. Right. Like, it makes me angry and annoyed when people in TV shows and movies say nuclear. Mm-hmm. Like, you have an entire crew of people watching you say these lines. Yep. Yep, yep. And they let this go through? Mm-hmm. Arrow? <laughs> I was about to say they do that a lot, a lot on Arrow. <laughs> they do it a lot on CW shows. Yeah, they do. Oh my gosh, it's so annoying. But it's I've heard nuclear them do it. people. I've, nuclear. I've heard them do it on Blacklist. I've heard them do it on Blindspot. I mean, they I, do. Yeah. Yeah, it's done on everything. And I just, I, I just don't... I just don't understand how people have made it into adulthood. And they still say nuclear. Mm-hmm. Have you never seen it written down? Sound it out, man. Yep. David Wang over on the Facebook group. <laughs> Save me. Yep. <laughs> Is talking about Thunderball. Says, one, I was also sorry to see Polly go. Although calling it fridging would imply that Bond cared for her. Mm. There will be better scenes of Bond meeting local contacts in the future. I promise. <laughs> Number two, the guy who disappeared once he was thrown off the boat was previously said to be a nuclear ex- nuclear expert from no. Poland. <laughs> Largo told him that his cut of the pro- for the project by Spectre is going to be so much more than mere metals back home, though I'm not ruling out the possibility that he was kidnapped. Yeah, um, yeah I'm just worried about where he disappeared to. Mm. That's, that's my main hang-up, I think. Um, three, this may be one of the messier Bond films, but I maintain that it has, it has one of the coolest VHS box covers. Neat. Bond holding a harpoon instead of a handgun or automatic. <laughs> Come on. That is pretty cool. Yeah. If you want to, uh, if you have the VHS, David, uh, put a picture of it He up. did. He did. Oh. It's on, yeah. Oh, it, I need to look at it. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, he did. He. I gotta check that out. I'm gonna he, look he at put it, it right up, now. Yeah, he put it on the, uh, on the Facebook group. Wow. You just dropped a thing on my foot. Sorry. Why would you do that? I didn't mean to. That hurt. <laughs> it was an accident, you baby. Get over it. <laughs> I'm tearing down this set and going home. <laughs> my mother didn't like it in a dream. Um, number four, the guy who plays Largo is Italian, and he's in a much better film called The Agony and the Ecstasy. Also from 1965, it's a biopic about Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Neat. Uh, number five, to reference another Bond podcast in For Your Ears Only, they made so much fun over the line, open the underwater hatches. They then went on to emphasize underwater everything because they are they too are no fan of all that excessive <laughs> underwater scenes. That's great. The underwater shots must have been expensive, so they felt like they needed to keep it all. Mm. I that's yeah, I think they were just like, look at what we did. You know how a kid does that. Yep. Or me. <laughs> yeah, I it's yeah. Everybody knows. Everybody knows about that. I, everybody knows. Everybody knows. 
Um, <laughs> I love, yeah, just kids doing, like, something that is not amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, putting their foot on a couch cushion and then just being like, hey, 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 watch this, watch this. Uh! And just, like, waiting for uproarious applause. Yeah. <laughs> like you with that story. Oh, is that oh. what happened? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No one's applauding, so it's no. not. It's no, just... no one's applauding. We're on a podcast. No uh... one's watching. I love you. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I love you as well. Oh, here it is. I'm looking at mm-hmm. it, David Wang. I'm looking at that uh, VHS yeah, cover. Yeah, that awesome? That's amazing, dude. Uh, Sean Connery looks so hardcore. He does. Oh my gosh. That is like a serious... Yeah. It's... That is a serious face of someone who wants to murder all the people. Yeah. But you know what? I don't think he ever wore that scuba suit. Yeah, I don't know. His was always like a burgundy bathing suit over his Maybe. white shorty shorts. I don't know. He just looks like he's saying, the harpoon is my penis. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. Yeah, dude. They didn't do uh, much brushing up on his face, though, did they? (laughs) (laughs) You can kind of, I don't know, man. He just looks kind of aged and like, oh, yeah. Didn't you keep saying during this film that you could, it looked like Sean had gained some weight in his face? Yeah, you can tell in this picture. Mm Mm-hmm. It is not a hugely flattering photo of him. I don't know. He looks fine. Yeah. He it's just... still it's still a really cool cover, though. Yeah, You're I right. dig it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm glad. Thank you, David Wang, for 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 uh, posting that picture. Yeah. I've I'm happy to see that, and I might like I've been doing some Bond artwork, and I might incorporate uh, that as inspiration. Neat. To one of my my drawing for Thunderball. That <laughs> That's cool. And I love VHSs. I really love 80s nostalgia stuff. And part of what falls into that category mm-hmm. is VHSs. Um, so I don't know. I just like I think one of my one of my favorite things is just like going to thrift stores and just finding a gem of a VHS and all of the VHSs. Mm-hmm. I just it's it's fun. So I'd I can appreciate that there's a really sweet VHS cover of Thunderball. I kind of feel like, do you ever think of like, when you say VHSs, that it feels wrong? Like, I feel like it should be VHI. (laughs) VHI. What bugs me is that now, uh, in the age of DVD players and Blu-ray players, people say VHS players. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, nah, man, it was called VCR. Have we already forgotten I think I, w- I was watching something recently where they called it a video cassette player. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, still VCR. Still a VCR. I guess they could, if they're calling it a video cassette player, they could be also referencing the Betamax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So, uh, number... S- we'll skip number seven because it's a video link. An Archer Kingsman crossover video. Hmm. That I did not get a chance to watch because I've never seen Kingsman. Uh, number eight, your Michael Caine reference reminded me of another Christopher Nolan connection. In The Dark Knight, Skyhook is now ba- is how Batman got himself and the Hong Kong businessman and mob money launderer out of the building and back into their getaway airplane. Dude, I forgot all about that. Hmm. But he's absolutely right. Neat. That is totally what Good happened. Good call, David. That's cool. 
Our cat is starved for attention. Bless her heart. She's just... Poor baby. Desperate. <laughs> Nerdytastic <laughs> says, I am sorry y'all didn't like Thunderball very much. It's one of my favorites. I'm sorry, Nerdytastic. We still respect you. Absolutely. She says, I think the underwater scenes are really beautiful and I love the eerie score. I do agree that it could be edited down into a tighter movie and the ending uh, sped up footage is odd. I've nearly drowned twice and let me tell you, it's not fun at all. Oh so I, I know. So I get you uh, on, I get you on having issues on driving under bridges and watching people drown or over bridges and watching people drown in the movie. Yeah, dude. Yikes. I'm sorry. This is awkward now. <laughs> I'm so sorry you've nearly drowned twice. That sucks, man. I'm sorry. I almost drowned once uh, because I had uh, a bad friend who thought it would be funny to hold me under the water. Oh, jeez. Was it Peter Sellers, the butthole? No. Nope. Okay. It was just a bad friend of mine. That's a real butthole well, move. We were kids. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not great, buddy. I know. Um, but we also, uh, had a separate message from her because we said hey to her last week. She says, hey y'all, my week was blah last week. I'm hoping this week is better. I wish you luck on your trek through the Roger Moore movies. They're not to my taste. Moonraker and Man with the Golden Gun nearly drove me to drink. <laughs> Just to get through them. Oh dear gosh. And I don't drink. Oh no, help us. I know. Oh, God. I'm going to have to, like, <laughs> find something to do while I watch those movies, then. Uh, you know, you don't know that for sure. Oy. We didn't. She loved Thunderball, but we didn't. That's true. So, you know. Maybe those movies will be our favorites of the entire franchise. They might. <laughs> I'm worried that they might be. All right. <laughs> uh, so, next week, we will be discussing, uh, well, we're back to proper Eon Films, James Bond, with a film nerdy-tastic actually called The Most Racist Garbage She's Seen in a While. Ooh. She said it was truly awful. Uh, 1967's <laughs> You Only Live Twice, starring wow. Sir, J Sir Sean Connery as James Bond, Akiko Wakanayashi as Aki, Tetsuro Tamba as Tiger Tanaga. Uh, I like that name. Tiger Tanaka. Tanaka. <laughs> Tanaka 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 <laughs> <laughs> If you guys don't know what Tanaka is It is a giant penis monster that uh, Is In a show called Man Seeking Woman Yeah And it was like the old college friend Of the protagonist's Girlfriend And he's like Stop touching him. He's a giant. All oh, his hands are penises. He's a giant penis. He clearly wants to get with you. And she's like, he is an old friend. Stop being jealous. Tanaka. It is. And he just says Tanaka over and over again, like the penis monster whose name is Tanaka. It's a very, very strange TV series. And I watched it because I love Jay. What? Dave? Jay Baruchel. I love you. My uh, thank husband. You. Thank you for loving And me. also actor Jay Baruchel. Uh, I really like him, and I've seen a lot of things that he's been in. Mm -hmm. uh, this was different. <laughs> Man Seeking Woman is a fantastic yeah, show. Yeah, you ended it's up loving really it, funny. and it grew on me. I I think what you should know if you're going to watch it, it's on. It's all on Hulu, or at least it was rec yeah. recently. Um, it's only three seasons. Yeah, 
what you should know going into it is that it is very, very strange and surreal, and it it is not meant to be grounded in reality. It's sort of just like they take all of like they take like all the metaphors for relationships and stuff and just make it uh, absolute reality. Yeah. So if I think I think what really took me a while to get over was that I went into this just thinking that it was gonna be like. Um, what was that movie? She's out of my league. Uh-huh. Is that what he was in? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like a little rom-com situation or something like, oh, man seeking woman. She's mm-hmm. out of my league. It's going to be like that. Nope. And like five minutes into it, he's got a, like a priest speaking Latin and like performing an exorcism over his girlfriend's old, his ex-girlfriend's old belongings. Yeah. And his ex-girlfriend. That are flying around the room. His ex-girlfriend's uh, rebound boyfriend is Hitler. Uh-huh. Because Hitler is still alive and is dating his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And then later there's a girl that he's interested in and she's literally dating Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And then like his rebound blind date that his sister set him up on is a literal troll behind a dumpster. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It did grow on me. Once I got used to, oh, this is just what this show is. Yeah, it is super weird. And (laughs) all of the weird stuff that happens in the show carries over into the next episodes. Like, there is an episode or two, I think, where um, he comes across a, a pill that is uh in the it's it's like one of those like libido produ- libido enhancing drugs uh sorry gas station pills you know you, you see except it's not really it's like a time travel pill where you can go back it's and forget me not michael yeah <laughs> but it's like a time travel pill where you can like go back and do something over again and he just keeps screwing like he's got like three in the pack so he keeps screwing it up and then like he finally goes back and it's like uh, because of whatever actions he took, like he's married to the to his ex girlfriend and they're happy, but the entire world's been taken over by aliens, mm-hmm. and has like an alien overlord. And um, you know, by the end, they've they've reestablished control of the Earth, due in no small part to to his shenanery, but <laughs> for the rest of the series, you see like the graffiti and stuff. Like th- there are consequences to, to their actions. Like the alien did exist. The world was enslaved by an alien race. It, I don't know. It's really funny. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a clever show. Yeah. And it has a really good ending. Yeah, it does. So anyway, <laughs> I know. Um, so tiger Tanaka, tiger Tanaka, <laughs> uh, Mihama as kissy Suzuki and Donald Pleasance as Blofeld. And this is going to be directed by Lewis Gilbert. And weirdly, it's written by uh, Raul Dahl of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. BFG. BFG, James and the Giant Peach, The Witches. Like, what is that dude doing on a James Bond movie? So, uh, yeah, I'm super interested. Like, every week I've been really interested to see what they're going to do in the next thing. Because there's always something that's just like, wait, what? All right. I'm already, like, possibly feeling some racism with a character's name being Kissy Suzuki. Uh-huh. Like, I'm assuming that that's an Asian yeah. character. Oh, there are so many Asian characters already named. I'm just like, Oy. oh, this is going to be bad, oh, isn't it? no. Isn't it? This is going to be real bad. Well, we're diving in. Yep. 
All right. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Where do we go from here? <laughs> Keep uh, some DC on your screen. No. Oh. Keep the... Keep some kitties in your podcast. Yep, do that. <laughs> Keep kissing your Suzuki's. Nope. All right, uh, we're we're gonna go now, and then we're gonna come back and uh, talk about this uh, this uh, Orson Welles thing. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you. Tell me. I usually prefer to, but tell me what's wrong. All right, I just think the, the very opening could be a little... Nothing is more important than the simple act of people getting together. Good. Could I have one more go, Wilson, please? Sorry. What? Could I have just one more take of that? Why? I just did it right. Yeah. Right, look, I, I'm not used to having more than one person in there. One more word out of you and you go. Is that clear? I take, I take directions from one person under protest, but from two, I don't sit still. But who the hell are you, anyway? No, I'm the engineer. Well, why the hell are you asking me for another one? Well, I thought there was a slight bonk, and I would like, just like to be safe. Jesus. What is a gonk? Do you mind telling me what that is? Not a bang from outside. A bang from outside. Can I see Mrs. Rogers for a minute, please? Yes, certainly. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Yeah, so in other words, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it, if you can make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about them growing and she's picked them. Yeah. <coughs> what? I don't understand you, then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. July. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Okay. Well, that's about where I say in July. You emphasize a bit in, in July. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. That's just idiotic if you'll forgive me by saying so. That's just stupid. In July. I'd love to know how you emphasize in and in July. Impossible. Meaningless. I think all they were thinking about was that they didn't want to... He isn't thinking. Wilson, tell me just to one last... Yeah? And it was my fault. I, should, I said in July, if you can leave every July... You didn't say it. He said it. 
Your friend. Every July? No, you don't really mean every July. But that's a that's bad copy. It's in July. Of course it's every July. There's too much directing around here. Norway. Fish fingers in Norway. Findus, Norway. We know a certain fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in great shoals. There, Janste Stangeland. Shit. Fraction more on the on that shoals thing, because you roll it around very nicely. Yeah, roll it around, and I have no more time. You don't know what I'm up against, because it's full of of, of things that are only correct because they're grammatical, but they're tough on the ear. You see, this is a very wearying one. It's unpleasant to read. Unrewarding. Because Findus freeze the cod at sea and then add a crumb crisp crumb crisp coating. Ah, that's tough crumb crisp coating. I think no, because of the way it's written, you need to break it up because it's not it's not as conversationally written. What? Take crumb Take out. Take crumb out. Good. Here under protest is beef burgers. We know a little place in the American far west where Charlie Briggs chops up the finest prairie-fed beef and tastes... This is a lot of shit, you know that. You want one more? More on what beer? You, you missed the first beef, actually, completely. What do you mean, missing it? You're emphasizing prairie fed. Oh, but you can't emphasize beef. That's like he's wanting me to emphasize in before July. Come on, fellas, you're losing your heads. I wouldn't direct any living actor like this in Shakespeare. Well, you do this. It's impossible. Orson, you did six last year, and by far and away the best, and I know the, the reason. The right reading for this is the one I'm giving it. At the moment. I spent 20 times more for you people than any other commercial I've ever made. You are such pests. Now, what is it you want? No, I think in your depths of your ignorance, what is it you want? Whatever it is you want, I can't deliver because I just don't see it. That was absolutely fine. It really was. You, you can't it. No money is worth looking You can contact us by email at davidcrobertson at gmail.com or on Twitter. I tweet at David C. Robertson. Breaking Bond is a production of Maladjusted Media in association with Stranded Panda, a refuge for a rare breed of geek. Visit strandedpanda.com to check out more content from us and our friends. For more from Maladjusted Media, including podcasts, sketch comedy videos, short films, web series, and more, visit maladjusted.tv. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.